<laughs> so the two of us plucked out that $20 and we uh, we legitimately found $20. That's, That's how the plague began to spread. Yeah, right. It's a four <laughs> time better story than than my previous story when I only mm. found $5. I'm not sure that's how stories work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get started. Uh, we are required by law to do some follow-up. Are we? A friend of the show, allegedly, a friend of the show, <laughs> Guy Rambo, has discovered an expansion slot utility app in Catalina, which is for the new Mac Pro. And I think we had seen a screenshot of this. I feel like I've seen this before somewhere, but th- this had more information that I'd seen previously. And so tell me, tell me, gentlemen, what this is about. So I don't pay attention to the internals of PCs anymore or about computers anymore because I just buy whatever sized laptop or desktop I want. I haven't had to worry about a tower since like college. So what what is happening here? This is arranging PCI cards in the most efficient way possible. So first of all, the, this is version two of this utility because version one of this utility was made for John's computer. Uh, and actually the one oh, right before it, um, because it's it's a way, and I, I don't know, John, was there even one before this for like G5s and stuff? There were similar things, but they they only told you how you were doing. They would show you all your expansion slots and memory slots and everything and show you what's in them, and then it would scold you if you have <laughs> put, <laughs> put things in non-optimal places. Um, and this is different, though. Okay, so, so, so there, there's a couple things going on here. Number one is... You know, when you have desktop components, you have a lot of slots, and people can kind of arrange things as they want, as opposed to like you know, an iMac is kind of always you know optimized in the right way and everything. Um, there's been a couple of things over time where like if you if for certain chipsets, there's like an optimal number of RAM sticks, or it has to be like a multiple of two or three or something to get optimal performance because there's like two or three memory controllers. And there's similar things, uh, although two in, that work a little bit differently, with PCI Express lanes and PCI Express lane allocations for different slots and different different parts. Now, we don't have to worry about PCI Express lanes on most Macs because they allocate the lanes when they design the computers and there's no slots and so you can't change how they're allocated. You occasionally will see like some like some part of the internal limitations or designs will leak out in ways like how not all of the Thunderbolt ports on all of the laptops have equal bandwidth. Like they'll have like there's like the K-based articles that say like on the 13-inch MacBook Pro with four slots like the left two will have more bandwidth than the right two or something like that, right? PCI Express, the communication protocol used between you know most high-speed peripherals and things these days uh, inside computers, and actually Thunderbolt is basically PCI Express over a cable. Um, PCI Express has a certain number of lanes that come out of the CPU, and every CPU family has a different number of these. One of the reasons why the high-end computers use Xeons is because Xeons tend to have more PCI Express lanes than the consumer chips, uh, and the laptops, like the reason why the uh, Escape only has two Thunderbolt ports, and the bigger MacBook Pros have four. And why the 12 inch only has one port and it isn't even Thunderbolt is all related to like each of those chips from Intel has a certain number of PCI Express lanes that it offers, and there and how you allocate those lanes to different parts. You know, it's up to the engineer of the computer. Anyway, the new Mac Pro has a lot of PCI Express lanes. I think I think it has like 32 or 48 coming out of the CPU, something like that, but the, if you add up all the amount of PCI Express lanes that all of its slots and built-in peripherals need, it's way more than that. So they actually they do a few tricks to allocate these things. Uh, the, the main thing is that they have a uh, bridge chip 
in there. And I, I don't know the details of it, but I know it's, I know there is one there. I was, I was told there is, they actually are using a bridge that, or some kind of switch or so, something like that, like a PCI express multiplier, basically that can allocate, it, it can offer more lanes to peripherals than what the CPU actually has available. And then you can kind of allocate how those work. And, and I think what this is telling us it, with this utility, I think you can actually maybe dynamically allocate them as opposed to just like, oh, you have to move this card to this other slot every time. But there, there are also certain slots that have certain that have more lanes available to them than others. <laughs> and so, so what? So what this utility is telling us is like, you like there's going to be certain configurations where like certain cards you put in there, they don't need any kind of they don't need meaningful bandwidth. Things like you know a USB port card doesn't need much. An audio card. You know, like for, for sound in and out doesn't need much, but like a GPU needs a lot. Certain other kinds of cards need more or less, and so this this utility is there to basically tell you the user when you have plugged something into a slot that is not offering it the amount of lanes it needs, and can re- make recommendations to you of where to move it. And it's it like the example screenshot said, like you know, move move this card from slot five to slot three or something like that. Um, and all this is to get around the fact that you don't actually have enough PCI Express lanes in a Mac Pro to allocate full bandwidth to all of its slots. Um, and that's just, that's not, you know, Apple cheaping out in some way. That's simply, you know, limitations on the Xeon CPUs that Intel offers for this, for this computer. And apparently there's two pools of bandwidth. Again, probably getting back to the switch type thing where there's a bunch of radio buttons where you can change. You, you, can't, you can't change the, the speed of the slots. An AX slot, a 4X slot, like they're labeled and it's fixed. But you can change which pool those lanes are allocated to. And presumably you're trying to strike some kind of balance. There's also a checkbox that says automatic bandwidth configuration that will theoretically, uh, you know, divvy stuff up uh, in, into pools according to what the computer thinks is best. But for most of the history of Apple's most of the modern history of Apple's slotted computers in the PowerPC era and later, if you put something in a non-optimal slot, whether it be RAM or PCR cards or whatever, usually on the first boot, some dialogue from a similar utility to this will pop up and tell you that you've put things in a suboptimal place. Sometimes you just dismiss that and it will never bother you again. Sometimes it'll pop up every time, depending on how dire the situation is. But this utility, like everything else having to do with the Mac Pro, is getting bigger and fancier. We are sponsored this week by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com slash ATP. And enter offer code ATP at checkout to get 10% off. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Squarespace makes it super easy to make awesome, highly functional, well-designed websites that you don't have to worry about. You don't have to support them. You don't have to maintain them. You don't have to upgrade their software or worry if they're going to get a lot of traffic, if they're going to be able to hold up to the traffic and not go down. Squarespace sites are just super easy. You create it in a very beautiful way. It's easy to use. All live previewing, what you see is what you get editing. You can customize the themes and colors to your heart's content. And it's all with no coding required. So no matter what your skill level is, you can make a Squarespace site. They make it super easy for anyone to do, from beginners to advanced. And they have all sorts of rich functionality built in that's as easy as just like dragging blocks around to make it work. Things like, you know, galleries and podcasts and storefronts and all sorts of things that are actually pretty hard to code yourself or to build yourself if you aren't using Squarespace. But Squarespace makes everything like this super easy. They back it up with award-winning support if you need 
need any if you need any help with anything although honestly it's so easy you probably won't everything is just super easy at squarespace and it's just a pleasure to use you can get so much done in so little time so start your free trial site to see for yourself you don't have to take my word for it you can start a free trial with no credit card required at squarespace.com slash atp build a site see how you like it when you want to sign up, go back there, squarespace.com slash ATP, and use offer code ATP to get 10% off your first purchase. Once again, squarespace.com slash ATP, code ATP for 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much to Squarespace for sponsoring our show. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. All right, so big week? A little bit. <laughs> so we... Got word, what was it, the day after we recorded last week, I think it was, as 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 is off to happen. I was, I was thinking about that, by the way. Like, our show is kind of sort of intentionally on Wednesday because Apple does lots of announcements on Tuesdays. But Apple announces good news on Tuesdays. <laughs> Apple does not announce bad news on Tuesdays. So I think we struck, we struck the right balance. And I'd rather have the show, like, right after the good news comes out. I'm fine with waiting, you know, almost a week to talk about the bad news. So here we are. So uh, the news, which may or may not be bad, is that Johnny Ive is officially leaving Apple. He is going to start his own consultancy, which is called, what, Love From, I believe, or something like that? Um, Terrible name, yes. That's what it's called. It is It is a truly terrible name, but, you know, it is what it is. It doesn't matter what the name is. No, it doesn't. It's Johnny Ives' design firm. That's it. Yeah. D- design <laughs> yeah. companies always have weird names anyway. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah, it's like ad agencies. Like, you know, it's like, these are not names that the public tends to see. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he is going to start this new design firm, uh, and Mark Newsom is going to. Is that right? I believe I read that somewhere. I believe that's right. And I think Richard Howarth also. Oh, is that right? Like, it's, it seems like, it seems like I've... Howarth and uh, Mark Newsom. I see, I think it seems like they all might have left together. Interesting. So one way or another, uh, Apple was quick to point out that Apple will be consulting with uh, Love From or whatever it's called. You know, the, Apple will be a client. All is well, everyone. Don't worry. Don't worry. Everything's okay. Don't look behind the curtain. Um, <laughs> and then uh, they have announced that Evans Henke is going to be head of industrial design, and we'll talk about her a little bit more in a minute. And Alan Dye is going to be the VP of Human Interface Design, and we'll talk about him a little more in a minute. Before we discuss the two of them, though, what are your guys' initial impressions? I actually recorded an episode of Clockwise earlier today where this was one of the subjects, and I feel like if you're if you look at the tea leaves for the last several years, and I think Ben Thompson was the first one I noticed to get kind of in front of this, it sure seems like Ive has been moseying his way out the door for the last several years. And there was a semi-explosive piece from the Wall Street Journal, I believe it was, where they said uh, basically Johnny Ive's a big turd and is blowing off meetings left and right and you know he's caused strife and blah, blah, blah. And then Tim responded, Tim Cook responded saying, oh, no, none of that's true, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know what's going on here. All you can do is guess. But it seems to me like this is mostly a non-event. But I don't know. One of you guys convinced me that I'm wrong. And let's start with Marco. Before we start with Marco, we were out in front of this. Don't don't give Ben Thompson credit for this. <laughs> I went back and listened to my chart. We, like, we haven't talked about this in a long time. And it's mostly because back in the episode when he had his title change, we all basically wrote him off. It was like, well, that's it. He's He's on his way out. Uh, in in everything but you know and it took a while for it to happen i don't remember what episode that was but i did go back and dig it out and it's i think it's part of the reason we haven't really talked about other than you know 
occasionally invoking his name as an expletive when complaining about some piece of hardware or whatever, <laughs> which is something that I think we'll talk about. Uh, we've mostly not discussed him in the same way that we've discussed other Apple executives because I think we collectively wrote him off back when we did that show, and this hasn't come up again. I mean, you know, I, anyway, I, I went back and listened to the audio, and that was that was my impression. It was, and that was everyone's take, really. When what was it? He got changed to like chief design officer, CDO, or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so anyway, go on, Marco. I didn't mean to interrupt you and your your mute no. switch that you're fighting with. <laughs> no, <it's fine. laughs> thank you, thank you for your correction, John. I, I think there. It, this isn't nothing. I don't think it's as big of a deal as a lot of people think because, again, I I, I do think as as John said that this seems to have been in the works for years. We've we've heard bits and pieces here and there of you know Johnny like you know kind of slowly backing away and being less and less involved in day to day and I think the the uh, announcement of his promotion to the chief design officer I, I think was a very clear move like Johnny Ive who is the head of industrial design no longer is involved in day to day management at, from that point it's like okay well then what is he doing if he's not day-to-day managing like that's usually <laughs> yeah that person's just not really working here anymore and and I, I understand from a lot of reports that it wasn't quite so severe with in this case but clearly it was a step in the direction of him you know ascending into the sky and slowly you know leaving apple it, it has seemed for a while that he was probably experiencing severe burnout that he he might have been creatively bored and wanted to explore other areas. He he was known to have played major roles in the design of Apple Park and a lot of the details of Apple Park, like you know interior details. I th- didn't he also design like the desks and the chairs and stuff? Like mm-hmm. he he did a bunch of stuff. You know he's he's a designer. He's a creative person. There's only so much you can do. You know there's only so many iPhones you can design before you get bored. And want to do other things. And he very clearly for years has been extremely interested in branching out into other areas of product design. You know, he, he did like that, that Christmas tree a few years ago, remember? Uh, I think also in collaboration with Mark Newson, um, he, he did obviously the Apple Watch and a lot of the Apple Watch bands and stuff like that. There was a, there was a good discussion about this uh, on the talk show this week with John Gruber, uh, with Ben Thompson as the guest. They talked a lot about this stuff of like basically... You know, you have somebody like like Johnny Ive, you know, a, a professional designer and a well-known, world-renowned designer. They they want to do other things, like and and he especially seems very interested in the world of like high design. I guess if there's like a thing like high fashion, but for design, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that world is called, but like you know, the, the world of like high-profile design, where like he's not going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to hire him. He's he, his his studio is going to do like whatever he wants. He doesn't need your money. He's going to do like fun stuff that is shown off like in, you know, hoity toity exhibitions and, you know, places like Sotheby's and stuff like, like that's, that's where his stuff's going to go. It's not going to, you're not going to be able to go to Target next year and buy a Johnny Ive toaster. Like, nope, that's not at all the kind of stuff he's likely to be doing. <laughs> um, so creatively, I think he's, he clearly has wanted to do other things for years now. Apple was able to keep him going with things like the watch for a while longer. I, th- I think that extended his time there. But ultimately, it's kind of like like when somebody is unhappy with a job, you can offer them more money and they might stay for a little while longer, but ultimately, like, they're going to leave. <laughs> you know, this year is like buying a little bit of time, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so similarly, it's like Johnny Ive clearly both was suffering from severe burnout and also clearly wanted to design other things that Apple would never make. You know, things like 
well, I was going to say things like cars, but maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's a bad example. That's uh, one of the things that, that we talked about, I think, when going back and listening to that episode was uh, what kind of things, you know, would keep Johnny, uh, someone like Johnny Ive around after he's already made the iPhone and the iPod and the iMac and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think Apple Park was uh, something we discussed because that maybe that wasn't uh, a thing uh, on our minds at that point. But I, we think we did talk about the car as in that's something you could do to keep because he is into cars and it's very unlike computers right but you know in the end i mean a nothing car related has shipped yet other than carplay and uh b like you said marco like that's extending your timeline for sure but it's not really satisfying whatever the itch is exactly and johnny i've had a had a high public profile for apple and it would have looked bad for apple if he just all of a sudden left one day with it with no warning and so his exit was designed it was very carefully staged out over years. And this is, this is, you know, Apple clearly has a way that they do succession planning. Back when Steve was around, like they knew when it became clear that Steve's health was failing and that he might not make it, I think they very carefully staged out the, the public introduction of Tim Cook as the new CEO until it was time to actually execute the transition. And then when Steve ultimately died, we were, we like the public and the shareholders and the markets and the press, we, we were introduced to that transition gradually. And so it wasn't as big of a shock. Uh, and, and like, you know, Apple wasn't, you know, immediately quote doomed or anything like that. Like for the most part, like the market was okay. The stock didn't totally tank, you know, like when, when Tim took over or when Steve actually did die, um, it was mostly a smooth transition. Johnny Ive had such a high profile, not quite Steve Jobs high, but still very high. And so for him to leave had to be staged out very carefully with the press, with the markets, with public perception. It was clear he was going to leave or burn out at some point, you know, <laughs> soon. So they, I think they, that, was, that was what this chief design officer thing was. Clearly, they knew then he was leaving. That was just part of it. I think we're also seeing this transition now. I think we're seeing that Jeff Williams is the backup for Tim Cook. Whether Tim Cook is going to retire or leave anytime soon, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think this indicates that either way, but I, but I do think we are seeing now Johnny Ive was slowly escalated into the sky and now he's just poof disappearing and in you know and by the way this thing about like you know he's now a consultant to apple and apple's going to be a customer of his that's nothing like nothing's going to come out of that like it, maybe he might design like a watch band or something but like johnny ive is not going to be designing major apple products anymore like that's that's not what this is that's that's pr that's that's spin and it's it worked and that's great but like Johnny Ive is no longer designing things for Apple in in the sense that any of us would expect. The the whole thing about like oh now he's a consultant that's that's a smokescreen. I was a consultant too. Yeah, it didn't I didn't I never was consulted. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, the, so they they have done that. You know they they did that with Steve to Tim. They did it with you know Johnny to the sky. And now I think they are also clearly preparing the public for Jeff Williams to be the next CEO. And I don't know whether that's the 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 like official plan, like whether Tim actually does intend to leave, you know, in the next few years, or whether the, whether they just want to always have a backup, where in case something happens to Tim, or in case he has to leave quickly, uh, then like they, then they have somebody kind of groomed, ready to go, like to the public, 
uh, you know, they have they have a clear plan. Like, you know, like if Tim Cook decided he wanted to run for president or something, he could just quit and Jeff Williams would take over now and it wouldn't be that big of a disruption, it seems, like to, to the public. Like, we, we don't know how it works internally. To the public, it, it kind of seems like Anyway, I don't think the way Johnny left was a surprise at all. I don't think the timing was that much of a surprise. And ultimately, going back to, you know, the industrial design side of this, I actually don't think this is going to be that big of a change because it does seem, you know, Tim's email can say things about how collaborative they are and everything else, but the reality is there's a lot of smoke behind the fire that he really wasn't that involved recently and that he really wasn't, you know, very hands-on in the last few years even in the actual products. You know, I, I don't think he had zero design or zero uh, influence. I think he had some, but it certainly does seem like most of the design of Apple's products over the last few years has been coming out of the people who are still there now, not Johnny Ive personally himself. They have a design team and actually, and, and Evans Hankey, apparently we, I've never heard of her before this. I, it doesn't seem like she had any kind of public profile before this, but in, in the wake of this news, we've heard rumblings here and there and stories here and there. She seems very well respected and she seems like she's been running stuff there for a while in industrial design. Like it seems like she's basically been running the team effectively for a while now. So this is more like making formal what was already basically happening. And so I'm guessing most of the change of like, what's going to happen when Johnny Ive leaves Apple, leaves Apple. I bet most of that change has already happened. I bet we're already seeing what what's going to happen when Johnny Ive has left Apple. It wouldn't surprise me if much of the recent design coming out of Apple had little to no Johnny uh, involvement. Like, how much of the new Mac Pro do you think he designed? Because that we know that was designed entirely like in the last two years. How much of that do you think he designed? I'm guessing nearly zero. Do you think he designed the newest iPad Pro that had a radically different shape than the previous ones? Maybe, maybe he had some involvement, but probably not heavy involvement you know like like the more recent designs like do, do you think he he designed much of the iPhone 10 maybe but i bet a lot of the people who are still there now did a lot of that work you know so i think we're already seeing post johnny apple we've been seeing it now for years and it's fine because ultimately the design team is a big you know it, well it's not a big team but it, it's it's a team of multiple people not just the guy, like the one guy whose name we knew, who we heard in videos and white worlds, like <laughs> there, there was always, it was always much deeper than that. And it seems like the people who have been doing most of the design and most of the operating of that team for the last few years are now just formally in charge. And before they were kind of informally in charge, that's kind of how it seems. So I'm not worried at all about this transition. We should get to the, uh, the whole like reporting to ops thing the group brought up, but, um, before we do, uh, John, did I get most of this right so far? I disagree with some of your uh, assessments, but it's hard to, I mean, it's just a gut feeling because neither one of us actually knows, like we're not there talking to the design team. But it's, you know, it's this age-old problem we talk about all the time. It's hard to tell what exactly is going on inside Apple. Uh, one thing, like the idea of him phasing out of the company, again, when he had the title change, it was so clear that like, all right, well, you know, he's, he's done a lot of things. Uh, I feel like he's accomplished what he wanted to accomplish in this realm and uh, probably wants to be less closely involved. 
And that would have been a nice smooth ramp over multiple years to him transitioning out, except that in the middle there, because these things are never like, you can never plan them out perfectly. Same thing with like Jeff Williams being uh, a successor CEO. Like he might leave and go run JCPenney. Like weird things happen, you know? Anyway, um, during the, after he became CDO, there was a period where apparently uh, Tim Cook or whoever convinced him to take a more, come back and take a more hands-on role because apparently he pulled too far back and maybe the, the transition wasn't ready. So it was kind of a bumpy ride on his way out. It wasn't like, you'll just slowly fade away. It was like, I'm, I'm disengaging. I'm going to be the CDO. And then it's like, well, we need a little bit more from you. Okay, well, I'll come back. But no, actually, I'm out. Right. So these things never quite go as smoothly as you would want them to. Um, and as for what he'll do next, sure, he likes to do those weird Christmas tree things and the super expensive stuff for rich people. Um, and weird. So certainly he'll end up doing weird things, like weird from the perspective of the guy who makes iPhones, right? Because, you know, he's done a lot of consumer electronics. I don't expect him to do immediately more consumer electronics. I expect him to do like a spatula or God knows, you know what I mean? But <laughs> for, for everything I know about him, I don't think, I mean, maybe, I, you know, what do I know about him? I read a book on him. I've seen him in lots of videos. That's what I know. Anyway, based on that, I'm not sure he would be satisfied just doing weird designery stuff for rich people because there is a kind of populist, uh, you know, silversmith's son, man of the people angle where he wants to make things that people actually use. Like, you know, granted, you got a weird Christmas tree, but like, I think he would be equally <laughs> excited about a really good pen that costs, you know, a dollar fifty. You know, can you make a good pen for a dollar fifty, like or like, a spatula or whatever? Like, <laughs> no, he can't. <laughs> prose? No, I, I think. Uh, well, maybe, anyway, but like, I, I think that inevitably, if he continues to work at all, which is not a given, because like, he, like you said, he doesn't need to work anymore, right? I think he. One of the things he may end up doing is more prosaic design that has a chance of being used by people other than his, you know, point oh one percent rich friends. Because, uh, 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 you know, obviously going from a company where you make something that literally billions of people use, you, yeah, you're going to step back and make something that five rich people use, right? But inevitably, if he keeps doing that, it's going to be like, you know what, I'm kind of sick of making, you know, extremely expensive baubles that look really cool. I'd rather make something that I think some people will actually use and appreciate in its use. Like it's not, it's just, it's not, he's not becoming an, an artist or a sculptor. Like he, he wants to be a designer. And I, I really believe he is bought into the idea that, uh, design is about being functional for the intended purpose and all that stuff. So who knows if he continues to work at all, uh, in the long term, I expect him to make boring things occasionally. Um, Will we know that he made them? I suppose so. I don't even know how this works in the, in the world of high-profile design, right? Like, we put his name on them. They probably won't be in Target. You're right about that, right? But who knows? Like, weirder things have happened. And when you have somebody like him who doesn't have anything to prove, first of all, like, like you know, yeah. his resume is set. Like, he never needs to do anything else significant in his life ever again, and he's fine, right? Doesn't need money. When someone is in that scenario, they can end up doing weird things. So if he wakes up one day and says, you know what, I want to make that spatula for Target, by God, he's going to make that spatula for Target because no one can tell him not to. <laughs> and, you know, it's not going to diminish anything that he's done. Like, there's there's, there's no 
thing that he can design that will diminish his past accomplishments. So I'm ready for weird stuff, but I'm also ready for him to just, you know, you know he's never been the, the most public person. And I expect to, you know, see him not be uh, grabbing the spotlight at every opportunity. That's just the MO for anyone important who leaves Apple. Like if you look at all the people, even they leave on bad terms, like Forrestal, he, he didn't like run out and be like, I'm going to be on every cable news channel, bad mouthing Apple. Every time someone wants a comment for the next five years, that is not how things work. Even when you essentially get fired and leave on bad terms. So I really don't expect uh, Johnny Ive to be appearing on every cable news show every time they need someone to talk about design. I don't know. what it Was it Tony Fidel who seemed to be very forthcoming with the bad-mouthing of Apple once he left? Is that who I'm thinking of? Yeah, he definitely does that. But even he had a quiet period immediately after he left. And, you know, whether it's because people aren't interested in hearing what he has to say or he got involved in other things, it's just like it's not – it's not the usual MO for the big executives. Uh, and, you know, again, Tony Fidel is not leaving on the same terms as Johnny Ive, like going out a hero to the company or whatever. So, yeah. Um, what I'm most interested in on this topic uh, before we get to the new folks at Apple is taking a little a bit of time now, because if not now, then when, to look back at Johnny Ive's... Uh, work at apple like what did what did he mean to the company what did he mean to the products the johnny ive era um as you know it spans all of his career where he was a publicly known person more or less and all the all the products we know about i I think it's worth looking back at that and i think it also my at least my view of looking back on it also influences how i think the company will go forward without him because it's sort of like well when he was there, what did he do? And now that he's not there, what will not be done or be done differently? Um, and I want to start with what I think is an easy one, but I think it's worth saying explicitly, especially on this program, which is, <laughs> do we think that Johnny Ive's uh, time at Apple has been a net positive for the company? <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, is that a legitimate question? Yeah, I, I just, I just, yes, the correct answer is yes. I just wanted to put that out there, and the reason I want to say <laughs> that is because if you listen to the show, especially if you only listen recently, the only time you ever hear us invoke the name Johnny Ive is when we're complaining that like the laptops are too thin or they don't have enough ports or the keyboard is bad and like it's his. You know, I said it before his name is used as an expletive to like as the singular personification of all of the design we don't like at apple because he was in charge of all design at apple and therefore if there's some part of design at apple that you don't like you get to you know use that name as your little hook to uh explain who you're talking about but but let's be clear uh second only to steve jobs <laughs> i feel like he has you know the two of them combined which will i, I think is worth discussing that that team have done like the the what the biggest turnaround in and u.s corporate history added tremendous value to the company made not one not two but three four five depending on how you count them insanely uh popular good products that sold really well that were beloved that did things that, that broke new ground that defined entire product segments and industries if you take any one of those things the imac the iPhone, the iPod, the iPad, even I would say even the Apple Watch, the you know any of those things. I pick any single one, and any designer would kill to if it been remotely involved with a single one of those. And to be the head of design 
or personally responsible for major aspects of the design before he was elevated to that level for a single one of those is just, you know, the accomplishment of a lifetime. And he has this ridiculous resume. And during that time, Apple went from a company that was basically going out of business because remember he was there before Steve came back, right? He was at Apple. It was at the Apple that was going down the tubes, that toiling way behind the scenes, making things that no one actually let him ship until uh, jobs came and said, look at all this great stuff. We should let this guy ship some of this stuff. I think it'll be cool. And then, you know, we got the iMac and all the other stuff. Um, so yes, Johnny, I've probably the best product designer, uh, that has ever existed as measured by anything that you can objectively measure. Like you could, you know, have opinions about, uh, what product you think is better or more elegant or whatever, but as measured by, uh, beloved by the most people sold the most number, made the most money, uh, turned around the company that he worked at was the most positive influence of the company that he worked at. He is head and shoulders above anybody else just because of the scale of things. We talk about this all the time, but like great designers of the past who made things that are iconic, you know, the, the designers of the Volkswagen Beetle, like it's so rarely has there been a singular name associated with it. And so rarely has, uh, have there been a series of them that have, a, a, you know, within the same company, uh, that have pulled that company from the brink of bankruptcy to the biggest company in the world. Like it's a story that hasn't existed before. And Apple is so large that if you actually compare any of the numbers against anything that you can think of, except maybe the wheel, <laughs> like the, <you> know, <laughs> the iPhone is the, the, the biggest, best-selling, most influential like product ever made. Uh, especially when you consider that every phone on the market is now essentially an iPhone, like in terms of, uh, you know, it, it, its influence on the, on the, uh, the world of products and i'm not sure if he was involved in any of the laptops but i always this is a the old man segment of the show um apple basically defined what the modern laptop is too when they decided to make a laptop where the keyboard is shoved up against a screen and below it is a pointing device which started as a trackball and eventually became a trackpad that's what every laptop looks like now still before apple made the powerbook line that is not what laptops look like at all so in the same way that before apple made the phone Phones did not look like the iPhone, and then after Apple made the iPhone, now all phones are, look like that. Like, I don't, I don't know if that was uh, if Johnny. I've even worked at the company at that point, but um, yeah, and of course the Mac with the GUI. Apple's done uh, that a couple of times, but Johnny, I've been involved with a lot of them, and especially uh, the all the most recent ones. So, all that is a long-winded way to say that, regardless of what we may think about. Uh, his particular tastes versus our particular tastes as they relate to the details of an individual products. Uh, I'm not going to say we're nitpicking because it's not just nits. They are fundamental differences, but you can't argue with the results. Like you can't, there is no arguing with his work as a designer. He is uh, one of the greatest designers to ever live. Probably the greatest designer we'll ever see in our entire lifetime. Doesn't mean that he's always right. Doesn't mean that he, uh, everything he did, is uh, perfect and without flaw and without argument doesn't even mean his design philosophy has not evolved over the course of that but it, you know you can't can't argue with the numbers so i am not a avid designer by any means and i feel like as i get older and older i appreciate design more and more but i don't really know what i'm talking about when it comes to design but i feel like i know enough to know that that Dieter Rams is frequently cited as one of the best designers, if not the best designer who has ever lived. I don't know the answer to this question because I don't, I'm not familiar enough with, with Rams's work, but if you, John, I'm hoping you're at least slightly familiar with it. If you had to pick between him and Ive, you, would you still pick Ive? 
Yeah, based on objective measures, for sure. Because, yes, he did. It was very influential and he made some beautiful, elegant products. But did he take the companies that he worked for, his design studio, to the levels that uh, that I've took Apple? Are his products in the hands of as many people as Ive's products have been? Are his products as beloved by as many people as Johnny's? It's just it's just scale, right? And I feel yeah. like okay. you can you know it, you can judge on artistic merit and say, well, this this one designer who made this one thing that five people have ever seen is really the best, you know. But that's <laughs> but I'm saying like, all right, that's that's like you know judging your you know art uh, judging on the level of art or whatever. But as a, as a practical concern, uh, and you know, if your goal is to make make great things that are useful and beloved by people the sheer scale of apple and you know that's the only it's the only thing you can objectively measure everything else is just opinion but if if you say fact based are you a successful product designer what would what is the how do you measure the success of a product and i feel like the way you'd measure the success is uh you know that everybody likes it uh that it that the company you work for as a designer is successful because of your designs and the products are successful at what they're intended to do and, you know, I feel like Dina Rams, you know, his scale is one bazillionth the size of Johnny Ives' scale. That's fair. So the other aspect of this, I know we've, we've talked about his legacy, and I've, all, I've said all these thing, nice things because now I want to bring the more difficult question, which is... Yeah. All right, so get, getting back to the idea that Johnny Ives is, you know, not designing these things personally, Right. This is, and, and uh, the other, and also the concept that we can't actually know what goes in, inside Apple. We're just looking in from the outside. Those two things combined gets back to my rule that I always invoke whenever talking about Apple, which is that it doesn't, in the end, it doesn't matter who specifically decides that the laptop should be this thin or shouldn't have an SD card slot or, uh, you know, the keyboard they should stick to the butterfly keyboard or any 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 particular design concern you might have and you know frequently attributed to that John, darn johnny ive he wants the things to be featureless with no buttons on them we have no idea if that's not like a faction inside his design studio and in fact johnny ive wanted to add tons more buttons but but you know was deferring <laughs> to his design we just don't know but here's what we do know like we can never know those internals until they write their telebooks but here's what we do know he was in charge of design and Despite all the collaborative type of things where they're like, oh, we discuss it all together, whatever, the buck stops with the people who are in charge. So the bottom line is, if there's something that you don't like about Apple design during the time when Johnny Ive was the head of design, it's on Johnny Ive whether it was his decision, whether it was his design or not. And certainly it wasn't his design, He's, but he was the person who made the decisions. He was the one who gave the thumbs up or thumbs down. And ultimately, what is produced design-wise by the company is his responsibility. That's what it means to be leader, right? The buck stops with him. Even if he had nothing to do with it, even if he was against the idea but went along with it, like, that's that's the job of being the leader. It's not to design all the things. It's to have a, a position and a vision and make decisions that can't, you know, the people below you can have positions and argue for them or whatever. But in the end, like, it's a hierarchy. And I feel like, especially with the absence of jobs, that Tim Cook was highly unlikely to override Johnny Ives design decisions. So if there is something you don't like, if you think the laptop should have an SD card slot, right? If you don't like getting rid of Touch ID to, to have the, the swipey home button, you know, if you don't like something about the Apple Watch, no matter what it is, I feel is entirely comfortable to not blame Johnny F personally, but to say that is part of his legacy. Because during the time that he was in charge of design, Apple did certain things. And every single thing Apple did, I'm totally comfortable saying that's at his feet 
because he could have stopped that from happening. He could have made a different thing happen, right? So despite the fact that we know he's not doing anything personally, and, and, and despite the fact that we can't know what goes on inside there, I will continue to think about the legacy of Johnny Ive in terms of what the company produced when he was in charge. Not in terms of what he did personally, not in terms of, you know, his his specific opinions, but like, like that's that's your legacy when you're at that level of an executive. Like, were we to get Johnny Ive on the program, I'm sure we could ask him lots of questions about his opinions about design. But ultimately, you can also ask him, say, during your tenure at Design at Apple, here are some things that Apple did. Looking back on those, are there things that the company did during your tenure that you regret, that you are particularly proud of, that you wish could have been more like this and less like that? Like, like you can, as a leader, you can have opinions on your legacy in that way without it being personal. Because you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't design the iPhone 5 personally and draw every line of it. I saw seven competing designs and picked one of them and, and, and herded it and refined it or gave a vision statement or whatever. But in the end, Apple ships a thing. And that's a thing that you said, yes, we're going to ship. Um, so that, I feel like, is the most important lens through which outsiders can judge uh, Johnny Ive, not so much as, as a designer, uh, but as a leader of designers, as a as a leader of the design wing of the company best known for design. And so that's why I will continue to invoke his name, despite the fact that we all know that he's not drawing every single design. And he's, you know, half the time he may be deferring to strongly held opinions by his collaborative group. But in the end, it's his responsibility. Well, the thing with that that's very interesting to me is as I'm thinking about the things that the three of us love to complain about, things like the keyboard, things like the Apple TV remote, things like the touch bar, as I sit back and think about all of these things, I can't think of anything other than the keyboards that I really and truly believe is unequivocally bad. I will even go to bat for the Apple TV remote. And I know I'm the only one on the planet that will. Mm. It has problems. I, I'm, I'm not denying that, but I don't think it's objectively bad. The touch bar to me is not objectively bad. It's, it may not be for the three of us, but I don't think it's objectively bad. So many of the laptops and, and computers of recently, the, I don't think that they're objectively bad. Like I want an SD card slot, but I don't think it is objectively wrong that it's not a part of Apple laptops anymore. And I'm trying to think, is there anything, and I know you're going to light me up about the Apple TV remote, but is there anything other than the keyboards that we can say, no matter who you are or what you're doing with this device, this is actually bad or wrong or what have you. Is there anything... Yeah, the remote definitely qualifies, and here's why. Nah, like you can, you can. On. It's like you can have opinions about what features a product might have. Oh, I wanted to have this port. I wanted to have this battery life, or whatever. But every product has a job to do. The job of the remote is to let you control what happens on a television, from while you're sitting on the couch, and you can measure how well the Apple TV remote does that job. And you can, like, I mean, you can, bad, what does bad mean? You'd measure it against other remote controls. And you'd have to come up with some criteria. How, what, what criteria do we care about? You know, you pick, pick anything. You just, you're the person who's going to say, I'm going to judge remotes against each other. And I'm going to have a bunch of tests to see if they fulfill the purpose. Almost anything that you can think of, the Apple TV remote does worse than 
worse than the best remotes for sure, which I feel like is the bar that Apple should be judged against. Like, is it worse than like the worst cable box remote? Maybe not, right? Maybe it comes out, you know, as a wash and nothing, but against a good remote, the Apple TV remote gets destroyed. And that's, you know, there's, you can have lots of opinions about features and sort of the, the product design, but I feel like the the job to be done in the parlance of all the uh, economic whiz kids, it's supposed to let you control your television. Uh, and it does that, but it does that very, very badly in almost all aspects. Um, that's that's a great example of a thing that I put at the feet of Johnny Hive, whether he had anything to do with that remote or not. The bottom line is he was in charge and they shipped that. Now, all that said, back when Jobs was there, it was clear to everybody involved that Johnny Ive got to have a say. But in the end, if Steve decided something needed to be like stitched leather, it was going to be stitched leather. Like it doesn't really <laughs> matter what Johnny Ive or anybody else thought, right? So when he was there, that's why I'm totally comfortable putting it at the feet of Steve Jobs. Everything, and it's weird, you know. Like I said before, well, then Jobs goes, and you don't put this all at the feet of Tim Cook. Yes, kind of ultimately, but my read on the dynamic inside the company is that. Again, Tim Cook, unless there is some large economic concern, and even if there is one, like with the gold watch, it seems to me that Tim Cook is not inclined to override Johnny Ive when it comes to design or anything like that. Override him maybe when it comes to pricing and maybe when it comes to what we should make and what we shouldn't. Like Johnny Ive had to pitch Tim Cook reportedly to say we should make a watch. Ultimately, Tim Cook said, sure, fine, go ahead. Again, perhaps another you know thing to get Johnny to stick around, right? Uh, but I don't think Tim is the design decider in chief despite the fact that rank wise he could decide that i like especially if, if tim ever did that uh, johnny would have left long ago because i don't think he would stay at a company where that happens would he stay at a company where steve job overrides him yeah sure but that's probably the only person on the planet that, that johnny have would would allow that to happen from at the, at the point that he's grown to the level that he is so um so yeah there are there are definitely uh, i think objectively bad uh, designs as measured by anything that you could objectively measure about the job that thing is supposed to do, are they the worst? No, but it's like average or like somewhere below good. And we want apples to be the best. And the remote is so galling because it's obvious to almost anybody what the problems with the thing are. Like, it's not like you need, it's not some nuance or subtlety that you have to really understand the essence of a remote. It's like, no, just it's, it's hard to use. Uh, you make mistakes all the time. The thing gets lost. It's not comfortable to hold. Like it's just, you know, we don't want to talk about the remote, but that's an easy one. Touch bar. You could argue that accidental input is more of a problem than they think, but like, you know, and then of course, obviously the keyboard, the reason why you gave that as a gimme, it's like its job is to type letters. And if it doesn't do that, right, sometimes it doesn't make any letters and sometimes make double, uh, you know, that's no good. And you say, well, it still gets the job done. It's just a little bit tricky. I got to do a backspace bar. Like, yeah, but we're judging it against like average competence and it is below the, the average competence. Therefore, we say it's bad. We are sponsored this week by Casper, who makes awesome mattresses designed by humans for humans. Casper's mattresses are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. They have the original Casper mattress with multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface which is the right amounts of both sink and bounce, and a breathable design to help you sleep cool throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google, Casper is becoming the internet's favorite mattress. And now they offer four other mattresses as well. They have the Wave. This is a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. This is the one I use, and I got to say, I absolutely love it. I really love my Casper Wave, and I really miss it when I'm traveling. It's that good. They also have the Essential, a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night, and the new Hybrid Casper and Hybrid Wave. 
These combine the pressure relief of the award-winning foam with durable yet gentle springs. And Casper also has a wide array of other products like pillows and sheets to get an overall better sleep experience. All of these are designed, developed, and assembled in the U.S. And they're brought to you at affordable prices because Casper cuts out middle people and sells directly to you. They offer free shipping and free returns in the U.S. and Canada. The returns are totally hassle-free if you're not completely satisfied. The shipping is delivered to your door in a small box. You can get it upstairs. It's super easy to buy and use Casper's, and you can return it if you aren't satisfied. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. So get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash ATP and using code ATP2019 at checkout. That's casper.com slash ATP with code ATP2019. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for sponsoring our show. The the dynamic you, that you said a minute ago about like, you know, Tim wouldn't really want to override Johnny on much because, like, that's that was probably like a very expensive fight to pick. I I think the the dynamic between like you know what happens when Steve died and then there's a new CEO who's not a product person at all, and then there's this designer that everyone loves, you know, much the same way they loved Steve, who is still there, uh, and and there it, it created this weird dynamic where like. It seemed in some ways that Johnny was more was more powerful than than Tim or or at least like, you know, there was there was there were like lines drawn that like Tim probably didn't want to cross certain lines because it would it would, you know, cause friction with Johnny or or override Johnny in ways that Tim thought that he that he um, should be empowered or things like that. And so what ended up happening when, you know, when Steve left, Johnny got elevated to not like a dictatorship, but like, but to a position of extreme power, more power than he had before with very little editing going on. And look, many of the world's greatest creatives really benefit from some editing. And Johnny was that way too, you know, but, but when, because of like the, the politics and the stature of, of the higher ups, because of like how that all worked out over the last few years, you know, after Steve died and everything, Johnny had seemingly a lot more power and influence than he probably should have had. And for various political reasons with the public, especially maybe with markets and whatever else, like, you know, Tim basically turned Johnny into the new Steve in in like a power sense. He moved software design under Johnny. He moved, you know, he, he, he seemed to let design dictate a lot more about the products than before. And so, like, like when Gruber initially wrote the take, um, you know, last week about like worrying that Johnny wasn't replaced because the the new heads of design report directly to Jeff Williams, I don't see that as a problem because I see the current situation, like up till now, as being a weird hierarchy where basically design has been in charge of all products, like. The head of products, we, you know, we, we wondered, like, for the last few years, like, who at Apple is the head of products, really? You know, it was Steve before. Tim never had that job and didn't seem to want that job or have the ability to do it. He, he seemed to delegate it. But it seemed like he delegated it mostly to Johnny. So, effectively, the head of products at Apple, if you had to pick someone who it was, it seemed to be Johnny for the last, you know, X years. And so now... 
and I'm so mad that Gruber wrote this article today because I, I was gonna, I was, I was waiting for the last few days to come on this podcast. This what happens when when it happens uh, the wrong day for our show? Yeah, like I've been waiting to come on this podcast and say exactly what Gruber wrote in his article today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so basically, like, so you know, for the last few years, Jeff Williams seemingly has has been being slowly elevated into the role where now the answer, the, you know, the question of who is the head of product design at Apple, the answer now seems to be Jeff Williams. And I have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, and I, most of it is a little, you know, little trepidation because like we don't really know what Jeff Williams is like as a product, uh, as the head of product, except that we can see the Apple Watch, right? Like yeah. it, seem, it seems like he has effectively always been the head of product for the apple watch so we we have that example seemingly but we don't know much about jeff williams you know he he's he doesn't have you know much personality displayed to the public and so it's hard to really get a read on him for from from our side of things uh but it does seem like now jeff williams is the head of product whatever tim is like the administrator above all of this you know, and Tim can probably like you know set the direction of large initiatives like privacy, but like or you know, services that kind of stuff. But like it does, it doesn't seem like Tim has any interest in in like you know product details, and that's fine. Well, he decides whether or not they're going to make a watch, for example. Yeah, right? sure, exactly. Like that's that's right. his call. Yeah, that 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 yeah, that's probably right. But like, it seems like before the head of products was somebody who kind of was on his own. You know, Johnny Ive was like kind of on his own kind of politically more powerful than Tim maybe which or at least closer to equals which probably made that relationship a little bit awkward or a little bit hard to you know to edit or administer um and also if Johnny did indeed have this role of being the kind of de facto head of products and even if not in his role as the head of design it's kind of weird to have a head of design who's barely there or who is who, who is who is working out of his house in San Francisco when the rest of the company is an hour away working in an office every day and you know like Johnny like it, even if only a little bit of that is true that that's still like when you have a manager who is very powerful very respected very opinionated but is not always there that makes it hard to make decisions or when you have that manager who is busy like you know designing the building and the desks and stuff like it's for the last few years, they've had kind of an, a, a half-absentee, highly distracted, highly burnt-out head of design. Now, they have moved the design organizationally back where it belongs in the ranks. Now, they have, some, they have two people who are clearly, officially in charge. You have Evans Hankey as industrial design head. You have Alan Dye as VP of human interface design, which I think he is horrible. Oh, God, I, I really don't like that he is the head of this. But he has been, you know, since iOS 7. So this is, you know, this is not new. Oh, my God. I don't like Alan Dye's direction. But uh, that's, that's for another day. <laughs> but, like, now you, you have two clear heads of design, hardware and software, and they both report to the COO who is basically the head of product right now. That seems like an actual, functioning, healthy organization. And I don't think you need design to be CEO level. You don't need, like, the chief design officer. Like, you don't need that if you have a functioning hierarchy where there is a head of product who is very empowered to do things, whether it's the CEO or not, 
it, it should be I, I think an apple should be somebody very close to the ceo <laughs> like i think it only works here like with jeff williams being that that's probably only going to work because tim is very happy to delegate that to him uh but you have design reporting to the head of product that is the way it was under steve steve was the head of product design reporter to him so i think this now makes a lot more sense than the kind of weird vague you know minefield of how things were before and because now we have actual full-time employees on site serving in these roles i think things are going to be a lot more clear and it's probably going to function better so i think even though i i don't know anything about these people really the the few things i've heard about evans hankey have been very good i i i have high hopes that i think i think this is this is like cleaning up something that was kind of messy putting it in a way in a structure that is more likely to produce good consistent results so that mess is it's part of you know part of any any group of people doing anything but certainly part of uh corporate america or large companies um like to think of it as you know they make products and we we talk about their products and we judge the you know the the various uh, political maneuverings and the org chart and their financials. Uh, but in the end, in the end, these are all, this is just people. They're all just people. And people problems are always the biggest problems of any corporation, which is why staffing, HR, all those sort of you know, soft skills, they call them or whatever, like that's that's the whole ball game, right? So in in a situation like, like how, how did Apple find itself in this situation? They... They were so successful and they had these successful products and they had this team making them. And eventually that success, you know, that, you, you know, your success as a company leads to the elevation of individual people within the company to the point where, you know, you mentioned before that Johnny Ive had been elevated, but then, you know, you later clarified. It's not like he had been elevated in the passive voice. Tim Cook elevated him. Tim Cook elevated him for for several good reasons. One, he's the he was your meal ticket he brought made apple what it is today right <laughs> two there is a public perception uh which is what's probably the, the truth that he is your apple's meal ticket and if you have if there's a fight between forstall and johnny ive and you pick ive that's probably the right call like as far as the stock market is concerned certainly but probably as far as you're concerned in terms of like what is fair who has meant more to the company who is more important to keep right and so, and, and, you know, these kind of decisions, you, you think of them academically, but in the end, those are actual people. So if you get to the point where you're in a situation where you are convinced and everyone around you is convinced, and it may actually even be the right thing to be convinced that it's really important for you to keep Johnny Ive happy and he wants to be in San Francisco and be less engaged from the company, you start doing things that if you had pulled back a little bit, like, is this actually the best for the company and the products? Or at a certain point, am I, uh, you know, pigheadedly pursuing a goal that involves keeping a human happy when really, like, that's great and it is good to keep Johnny around, but it, uh, like, I feel like the company probably passed the point where uh, it, it should, they should have let him go. Like, they, they, it, if he wasn't engaged anymore, like, the goal of the company is not keep Johnny Ive employed and happy. Like, the company doesn't exist to serve Johnny Ive. Johnny Ive exists to serve the company, right? I don't know if from the inside it ever looked like that. From the outside, 
I, I feel like that may be the case. And, you know, again, trying to read the tea leaves and say, well, he's responsible for everything they ship. If there's something that characterizes, you know, the time after he was elevated to the head of everything, I feel like when it came time to make a product better, the philosophy embodied by the product and the execution by the design team was to, to you know, attack it as designers and do things to it that had mixed success in the market, let's say. Um, and I'm contrasting this with, and you go back to what Marco was saying earlier in the show about, like, we already kind of know what post-Johnny Ave looks like this. I'm contrasting this to the philosophy, the product design philosophy uh, as embodied by things like the Mac Pro and the iMac Pro and, and like the Pro workflow team. Like the idea of addressing that market and figuring out what their needs are and doing something that generally designed under both Steve and Johnny didn't do which is like let's ask the customers what they want which is the antithesis of apple design if you ask them what they want they <laughs> say a faster horse like it's a whole you know you don't if you ask people what they want you don't get the iphone right you don't get the imac or the ipod you don't like that's not how great design works but you can take the other approach too far especially if you have a singular person with a tremendous amount of power who the entire company thinks is very important to keep happy you can end up with designs like the Apple TV remote and, you know, things like the touch bar or whatever, like whatever your pet peeve is or the very thin keyboard that ends up not being reliable, right? Whatever you want to assign the blame for that, it's clear that, like, the fault in those things wasn't that Apple was uh, was asking for too much customer feedback and just making what customers wanted. Like, there's a, there's, a, there's a spectrum, right? If you go too far and you just make what customers want, you will never make an innovative product. You will never make a hit and you will end up making, like, mainframes, Right. On the other hand, if you just do what one very powerful person wants to do at their whim, despite, you know, ignoring what the customers want, you might end up with products that are less successful than they could be, let's say. And I feel like towards the end of Johnny Ive's tenure, that's how things were going. And I feel like the whole pro workflow team is like, if look, if Johnny Ive wanted to have something like that, he would have had that long ago. It came recently, right? It was a change in direction for the company. It has demonstrably change the kind of products Apple produces and the way they produce them. And I would argue for the better. For the better as far as we're consumed, but certainly it has changed them, right? You know, and, and we were seeing the fruits of that change. We like it better. Some people else might like it worse, but I feel like, again, what we can measure objectively how well-loved are the new laptops compared to the history of all the laptops that Apple has ever made. I would argue that these are not particularly well-loved in the pantheon of Apple <laughs> laptops for a variety of reasons, right? And so you can like them or not like them, but you can judge them against history, and you can look at why they may be less well-loved versus, for example, how well-loved was the iMac Pro in the pantheon of all-in-one computers from Apple? Pretty well-loved by the people who that product is aimed at, as far as I can tell. Like, it's an all-in-one computer. Apple has made a lot of them. Some of them have been more loved than other. Everybody freaking loves the iMac Pro, like for the people who are who are in that market, right? So there are ways to to measure the success, and I feel like the 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 pesky human issues of the individual person who has you know they're all their own feelings and emotions and accomplishments and ego and uh, you know just uh, opinions and and the amount of power they're given, like that that all it's not a toxic hell stew. Tim, but it is it is, a, it is quite a stew, uh, and the, even the biggest, the best companies in the end uh, can be reduced to the uh, decisions of a small number of people, and those people problems can result in less than optimal situations. And you know, I'm, I'm not going to say they 
should have got rid of him sooner or he should have been allowed to leave sooner or whatever like there's lots of different ways this could have gone obviously the pro workflow team and everything happened while johnny was ostensibly still there so it's not like he was opposed to it or left because of its existence or felt like it was undercutting him but like and i totally believe in all the you know all the press releases about how they're collaborative i believe that's true like they are collaborative they do bounce ideas each other i bet even tim is involved with with in some uh capacity right but there is a hierarchy of where the decisions get made right the hierarchy is clear the fact that they're collaborative at the highest levels is the strength of the company the fact that ideas can come from anywhere that phil schiller the marketing guy can come up with the uh the click wheel on the iPod, for example, and they don't just dismiss the idea because he's just the marketing guy, right? I believe all of that, that it is collaborative and it is true, but there are also lines of hierarchy and that's how they resolve the collaboration. It's not designed by committee. It is collaborative design within the design group, in the leadership team of Apple, all the way down to the rank and file levels. Like that's how, you know, great things get made, but you do need those decision points. And in the end, Johnny, I, I feel like was elevated to the point where he had where his power and his engagement combined to allow some of his, I'm not going to say his worst instincts, but some of his instincts that were less optimal to Apple's uh, product success than they had been either when his opinions were different and where he, or when his opinions were, com- I'm not going to say moderated by or edited by, I'm going to say combined with a collaborator like Steve Jobs, right? Or even Forstall or whoever, like whatever, if you want to be an antagonistic collaboration or like this, this came up on a couple of our Slack channels or maybe it was also in someone's article. Uh, the comparison a lot of people drew uh, between Ive and Jobs was uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, which also at times was antagonistic, but also very fruitful collaboration of two very different people. One was not editing the other or rather they were both editing at each other, but that the collaboration produced more than the individuals could have done. And I feel like that's why Apple collaborates at the highest level. And that collaboration comes down to individuals, right? So how will Alan Dye, Evan Sankey, and Jeff Williams collaborate together in the absence of Johnny? How will the pro workflow team be factored into that? Who runs the pro workflow team? Who decides that it's a thing that they should do or continue doing? How will Tim Cook collaborate with them differently than he collaborated with Johnny Ive? Presumably, Tim Cook is less concerned about keeping Evans Hanky happy than he was about keeping Johnny Ive happy. Concerned, like he wants everyone to be happy, but the power dynamic between Evans Hanky and Tim Cook is different than it was between Johnny Ive, inventor of name a bazillion products. That you know, like that the dynamics, the people are different, the arrangement of people are different in the corporate hierarchy, and the interpersonal dynamics are different. Um, we're hoping that the new dynamic will produce, you know products that are more successful that we like better whatever pick your criteria right but honestly we don't entirely know we know a little bit if we assume that johnny i has been checked out for a long time but in the end he was there and if there was something that he vehemently didn't like he could have given him a thumbs down which is why we have all those stories about oh you know the team had to go out to san francisco and wait around for johnny to come uh and in the end he didn't even give us the decision we wanted why did, why did they need his decision because he was in charge of design and they had like we have option a and option b and we have opinions in both directions we need you to pick one because that's your job <laughs> as the leader we like <laughs> we we bring you what we think are the best options and we have factions internally but none of us can decide because you're the boss and they were disappointed that there no decision was made which happens all the time and it's not like slamming him for not making the decision sometimes you just need to think about it some more or whatever but again getting back to what i said before in the end everything 
that goes out the door when he's in charge is on him, whether it was his idea or whether he even, you know, maybe he just punted and they just went with whatever they, you know, we, we don't know the dynamics, but we know it's his responsibility. Anyway, that's, that's how I feel about, uh, the tail end of Johnny Ives tenure at Apple, that it's could have gone better. is what I'm going to say. <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh, but you made, you, you said a moment ago, you know, pick any one of the gazillions of products that, that I've has done, you know, to cite as an example. But from what I understand, Evans Hankey has done a ton of products at Apple and has like hundreds of patents with her name on them or something like that. And so I was digging into, you know, who are Evans and, and Alan and, I came across an article, uh, which of course I didn't save the link for, so now I'm going to have to dig it back up, but that's okay. I came across an article. Professional podcasters. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, wherein they discussed, uh, you know, who these people are, and they cited a tweet from Meili Ko, I hope I pronounced that right, um, who I saw speak at Layers several years ago and is tremendous. And Meili wrote on Twitter, uh, this is with regard to Evans, and she's been making shit run right for a long ass time, uncredited, undercredited, excuse me, in my personal opinion. So uh, this is from someone who worked at Apple Design. In fact, uh, on Meili's own website, she writes, in 2014, I left a long stand at Apple where I designed and prototyped new things to poke at with the human interface design device prototyping team. My work included blah, 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 uh, fundamental UI concepts for Apple's Force Touch and Taptic Engine, and my explorations helped justify and refine the development of the iPad Mini, iPad Pro, and Apple Pencil. So Meili is someone who I would think knows what the crap she's talking about, and she says that Evans is very undercredited. So that is kind of a big deal, and certainly it sounds like Evans has been running the design studio for a long time, and is effectively the head of has been the head of design for a long time as well. From for, from what I can tell, well, everybody in the design group is undercredited. Like that's the whole point of having a figurehead. Johnny Hive is the figurehead, but and then literally everyone else is undercredited. He is overcredited, and everybody else because of the conservation <laughs> of credit is undercredited. Like that's just how you know. <laughs> It works. Like it, I remember, it used to be like they didn't even Apple didn't even want you to know who worked for them in this secret room. They didn't even want you to know those people's names, let alone their faces, because they're afraid of people getting poached and they would brag about how there was no turnover. Right? Yeah, of course, of course, the actual work is done by the employees, and the boss is just in charge and gets to take all the glory and credit because can't, everyone can't be a figurehead. So I'm not slighting the work of the people who are actually doing the design, but. There is a design direction and there is a head of design and that head of design makes decisions. And again, in the end, we have to just judge the products that are put out. No matter whose idea it was, it was Johnny's, uh, you know, in the latter years, Johnny's decision to put it out. So that's that's another question, right? So all these designers who are there doing their design, they have design is having lots of ideas. Like, you know, if, if you read any of the books about the the things the design team does, like when they were making the original iPhone, one of the original ideas they had was basically the iPhone 4. Look kind of like an ice cream sandwich, you know. Like we all know what the iPhone four looks like. like. That was one of the designs in the running for the original iPhone. They didn't pick that one. They picked the design that we saw as the original iPhone. But eventually, many years later, they did the iPhone four, right? And you know, the, these designers all have lots of ideas about what a product could be like, right? They also probably have ideas about the features that the product could have, and that shades into you know the the sort of there's designing the thing to do the job and there's deciding what the heck is the job, right? And that's all part of the same, you know, part of the same stew when Johnny Ive is the head of everything, right? But with some more divisions, I feel like 
what will these designers do? What kind of ideas will they have when given given direction from not just Evans Hankey, but also from you know Jeff Williams, or maybe even from Alan Dye with the, with the software idea? Like that, when more people are combined, those same designers working in a different situation, maybe certain ideas that before wouldn't get past the you know here are a bunch of options stage could go farther or you know it really depends on what what opinions the new bosses have about the work that is produced because in the end you know this group of designers don't just dictate exactly what it's going to be and get it right on the first try you try all sorts of things you have all sorts of ideas and you discuss them and that discussion with those particular people and those particular bosses it decides what actually makes it out the door and so certainly with this new set of people but the exact same designers we're going to see different products uh, even if they wanted to, they couldn't make the same decisions as Johnny because I'm sure Johnny, like every other person, is inscrutable and who knows what he would have picked. And I think that's actually a feature, not a bug. It seemed, especially up to about a few years ago, that Apple was kind of like running out of ideas of like how to move the products forward. And now, by having a change in design leadership, whether or not this was like kind of what was happening all along or not, this, I think, will give almost like give them permission to do things differently it'll, it'll certainly give the designers permission to do things differently because they won't have the fear of like what what have you know what if johnny overrides this or like they'll be they'll be able to more explore new ideas without having to worry about like what would johnny do <laughs> you know so it's part of that but also just like i want to see like i want to see what happens when apple gets things shaken up a little bit because when you're in a rut and which it seems you know like it seemed for a while like the iphone was in a rut before the iphone 10 like the, you had like the six seven they were all kind of just success like it was all kind of like here's the most boring phone you've ever seen and eventually like it got you know improved um with, with the 10 uh the ipad was kind of in a in a lull for a while and then the the pros that came out last fall with you know with the new industrial design like are really cool you know the laptops i think have been in a rut for a little while and I really can't wait to see what this falls one <laughs> ends up being uh, to see, you know, what direction that's taking. But I, I'm looking forward to having the, having the influence of new designers able to flourish and able to get products out the door with just someone else being in charge and someone else being the filter at the top of that group. Um, and this is why, like, you know, to have Jeff Williams be, be seemingly the effective head of products, uh, it seems a little weird to think about that because we haven't really thought about Jeff Williams that way uh, up till recently, you know, very recently, but he's somebody new and, you know, if to this role seemingly, or at least new in, in scope of the role, I want to see what that, what that brings. That's kind of exciting to me. It's kind of like, and it isn't all going to be perfect. You know, it, not everything they do is, is ever perfect. Uh, but it's, it's new. It's different. It's some, it's changed. It's moving things forward. You know, it's, it's just, it's getting new blood in there, you know, in, into, into existing roles I want to see what that brings. And I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. And, and I know I'm not going to like everything, and that's fine. You know, we wouldn't have a podcast if I liked everything. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but I, 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 I'm very excited to just see, like, it's just like some, 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 something being shaken up and, and seeing some new blood, you know, and, and seeing some people who have been apparently working for a very long time being elevated into new power. Like, that's, I, I want to see what that brings. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I really feel like... I don't know if stagnant's the right word, but it's certainly, I feel like Apple has been 
and again, I don't think cruising is the right word, but I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but it's just been kind of business as usual. And and I really am excited at the thought of having this new blood or really allowed to spread their wings and do what they want to do. And this is going to be a very exciting time to be an Apple fan, which is good because in my opinion, it, Apple's been pretty dominant for the last several years. I mean, they're occasionally, if not often, the most valuable company in America, if not the world. So it'll be interesting and cool to watch this all go down and watch this kind of work itself out, just like you said. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Marco. I'm I'm really excited about where where things are going from here. I wouldn't call it stagnation, but like this is another thing that from the outside I tend to map onto Johnny Ive because I assume that he is the one making these decisions. Um, if you're doing any job, especially a creative job, but really any job for a very long period of time, uh, like in the beginning, uh, when you're just getting started in whatever your career is, you're very excited to attain the skills that, that those skills in the art have, um, whatever the thing you're doing, if you're a baker to, you know, make your first wedding cake, right. Or whatever, like just do the basics, do them with your own twist or flair, but become competent and, and you can keep going along that ramp where then you you know start having your own style more and uh, deciding what you like and what you don't like. But if you're doing this for a very long time and you're very successful, especially in creative endeavors, I think people have a tendency, both because as they age and get more experience, but also as they become more skilled, you're less excited by things that you've already done. Uh, and you like whatever your philosophy is for your craft or your art, I'm not going to say you make more extreme versions of it, but you pursue you pursue your muse more thoroughly. Um, so in the beginning, you may when you're making your wedding cake, you may be like, well, in general, like cakes tend to be like layered with big layers in the bottom, small layers on the top, like a kind of thing. And, you know, and they're made of this kind of material. And this is about how big they are. And like you're you're constrained by the orthodoxy a lot because like you're just learning. Right. In the middle, you're like, I'm making a wedding cake that's a single layer and it's a cylinder straight up and down and it's the new design trend and now I've defined what wedding cakes are going to look like for the next 20 years or whatever. They, they're not pyramid shaped. They're like they're like skyscraper shaped or something. And by the way, they're, you know, they're pink or whatever. But whatever your, whatever your muse is, you, I feel like you do end up pursuing it uh, – trying to get it like the root of it. If you've seen Johnny Ives videos in his white world over the course of the past decade or so, you see him talk about always trying to find the essential nature of the product, the essence of the product to get rid of extraneous things like that, that, you know, as expressed in those videos, his design philosophy is all about, you know, it's not about ornamentation. It's about figuring out what is the essence of insert, whatever the product is, whether it's a laptop or you would probably say a remote or, a pencil or an iPad or a phone, like what is the essential nature of this product? What parts of it that we think are uh, integral to the product are actually superfluous? And can I get rid of those? Can I simplify the design? Can I use fewer parts? Can I uh, remove ornamentation or extra things? And that he has his <laughs> under, under his design leadership, Apple has pursued that philosophy in its products to an ever more extreme degree, almost entirely across the board, 
with the only only recently uh, a, ch- a slight change in direction with the the pro products and it made me think of something i saw recently uh, this is a program on netflix it's like a, a sci-fi anthology series of animated little animated shorts it reminds me of like liquid television mtv back in the day um a particular episode called zima blue uh, the series is called Love, Death, and Death and Robots. It's on Netflix. Uh, every episode is standalone. Most of them are not that good. Some of them are kind of exploitive and extreme. But I would recommend that everybody take a look at Zima Blue. And it is a, it's a sci-fi story. It's animated. And it's a story of an artist. And this artist, I won't spoil the thing for you. You should watch it. It's like 15 minutes long. Like, they're all very short. Uh, pursues his, uh, his muse, his passion, his artistic intent to an extreme for an explicable reason a more extreme than johnny Ab, because again it's a sci-fi story but i would encourage everybody to check out zima blue on netflix to see you know what what could have become of johnny ive if he uh if his life turned out a little bit differently and he was in a sci-fi animated show but, but anyway getting back to the uh apple I feel like that's the natural arc of someone's career. And by putting people in, you know, replacing him with people and other, uh, and, and you know, those, the people we just discussed who are at different points in their career, none of those people made the iMac, right? None of them made all of those products or like made, you know, were responsible for the, for design when those products were produced or however you want to, to parse it. They're all at different parts in their careers. They all have their own personal design philosophies. Do they all, are they all subscribed 100% with the, essentialism and all of the philosophy espoused by Johnny in all of his videos? Maybe, maybe not. Like I, I would imagine that the design group is filled with a diversity of opinion about what thing they should be pursuing in their products. I also think that the design group probably lacks uh, some opinions that are important for Apple's products to be very good. Some of those opinions might be coming from the pro work group people like some of them might be coming from the software side right when johnny was the head of everything and he was so uh, closely tied to the design group like there are aspects of successful laptops that may not be represented at all anywhere in the design group not because johnny i've expunged all contrary opinion but just because it's a bunch of industrial designers and, and product designers and they think differently than someone who is you know a professional in some market that products are sold into or a marketing person or, you know, like there's, there are other perspectives. And so having Apple's products now not only have a different decider in front of the design group, but have what has to be more influence from things outside the design group. I think that's the better way to make a well-rounded, successful, pleasing product than to have even, you know, the diversity of opinion that may be present in the design group, you need more perspective than that. Because in the end, products are more than just the things that people in the the little walled-off design group think about. They're also things that have prices and names and features and customers and jobs to do. And those, I feel like, are not well re- represented by the design group. And hopefully that will change for the better now. We are sponsored this week by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. The single Wi-Fi router model just doesn't work for our increasingly high bandwidth world. It's simple physics. Like light waves, Wi-Fi waves don't go through walls very well. So imagine if you were having like a big light bulb in your living room trying to light your master bedroom. 
it doesn't really work. You need a distributed system. We now have so many devices, not only inside of our houses, but outside too. You got like video doorbells, security cameras and stuff. All these things rely on stable Wi-Fi. And offices have had these kind of systems for years, but at considerable work and expense. Eero gives you an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. Just download the Eero app on your iOS or Android devices, and it'll walk you through each step of the process. It is quick, easy, and painless. I got to say, I use Eero myself whenever I'm in a... So this is what happened. I, I, I'm i in a vacation rental, and the very first day I got here, I noticed the Wi-Fi just didn't reach the bedroom. And the bedroom is where I was putting my iMac Pro. I ordered myself overnight an Eero package, the, the, the base unit and the two beacons, because I knew that A, I needed to get a better system, and B, I knew that Eero was it. Because I've used Eero's now in a number of different places like this, and it's just the best system. It's easy to set up. It takes two seconds. I set it up to match my home network so all the things would automatically connect to it without me changing anything. And it's so fast. It's so much better than like you know the ISP router that, that, that came with the place. I'm just so, you know, I'm that kind of nerd who immediately replaced the Wi-Fi at a rental, but it was worth every second and every penny of it. So give Eero a chance to never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package with one year of Eero Plus by using code ATP at checkout. So go to Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com slash ATP and use code ATP to get $100 off the package that has the Eero base unit, two beacons, and one year of Eero Plus. Thank you so much to Eero for sponsoring our show. Some Ask ATP. Let's do it. All right. We start tonight with Marcus Ernst, who writes, how does the recommendation engine in Overcast work? Did you try multiple approaches? Is it some fancy neural network? Uh, I have tried multiple approaches. Uh, It is not a neural network or anything remotely fancy like that primarily because I don't know how to use those things or understand anything about them. <laughs> use CoreML. I, I, honestly, I thought about that. CoreML, and, and they, so as CoreML has, has evolved and, and other tools that are like CoreML that, that are you know, more like you know, in the non-Apple world, like, I think like TensorFlow is one of these things. Forgive me. I, this is a whole world, the whole world of ML models and everything. I really don't understand much about it, and I, I don't, I'm not familiar with any of the tools or any of the real concepts of it. Um, the main reason I haven't gotten into all this stuff yet is because I haven't really needed to because I have some data with Overcast. Like I, I try to keep as little data as possible uh, about people and their behavior and everything, but I do know the list of podcasts that each user subscribes to. So I can do simple correlations like, you know, people who subscribe to this tend to also subscribe to that. Right? Like that's that's stuff that you don't you don't need fancy ML stuff to do that if you have decent data. And I and that's you know that's that's all the data you really need to do that. So uh the recommendation engine I man the the current one is based on Twitter stuff and it's like what you know what people subscribe to who you follow on Twitter. Uh I will give you an exclusive uh news breaking heads up here. I'm removing that feature. I I I'm getting rid of the Twitter integration. Uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, the, number one, almost nobody uses it. So it's already like on the chopping block for that. And there's there's a bunch of like liabilities of having Twitter integration and it causes a lot of confusion among users. I get a lot of support email about people who either don't understand it or wish it behaved differently. Um, and I've been I've actually just rebuilt 
the recommendation engine over the last couple of weeks using an even better approach again just involving subscription data like nothing super fancy but i just i i figured out better algorithms and uh, and so i'm i'm going to ship an update soon like still for, still for iOS 12 like you know before the beta is this fall i'm going to ship an update soon that switches out the twitter feature for my new recommendation engine and i've been testing it with some testers here and there and it has significantly better recommendations for podcasts you might like so it's I, I think it'll be a positive change and it also allows me to do things which i don't think i'm gonna have time to do for this update but it allowed me to do things like on a podcast's individual page to be able to say these podcasts are similar to this uh or you know people who like this also like this like that's it, it allows me to do all that stuff and it's a way better engine than, than the one I had before, um, and and so and it, it will allow me to integrate a lot more stuff more nicely into the app, and not have to deal with weird interactions with uh, with an increasingly you know risky and toxic social network. Paul Wood the Third writes, "What is the best way for you to enter, to enter the zone while programming? Do you have any tricks you plan yourself to help you focus? And why do you think that this trick works? For me, it's listening to Daft Punk's uh, Discovery album because I listened to it at my first programming job. Uh, I don't have any great tips about getting in the zone, although I will say now that I don't have a office to go to in the traditional sense, I do like once or twice a week going somewhere else to get work done, and I think the change of scenery really does help me." Uh, and then, as I think I mentioned several times on this program in the past, uh, I have my secret weapon, which I deploy extremely tactically, which is if I have a programming problem that I just can't figure out, Tools 10,000 Days has not yet failed in getting me through that problem. Uh, it usually takes one run through or less to get me there, but if I deploy it very tactically, I can usually use that as my secret weapon to solve programming problems. John, how do you get in the zone? The only thing I've found that works for me consistently, because I think about times in my career when I have had like a difficult uh, programming challenge that I have like put myself to dealing with either because there was like a hard external deadline or like I was very motivated to do it because I was super into a project or something like that. I think the thing that I've used is not isolation, but uh, Removal of distractions. So to give uh, some examples, at one point I was dealing with a particular, I think I've talked about this in the show, I was dealing with a particularly thorny thing having to do with uh, the e-book e site that, uh, that I, for the company I used to work for. It had to do with uh, the complexities of royalty calculations for bundled products for e-books or whatever. And it was, it was a fairly complicated system, and I'd taken a, a couple of runs at it, and I just wasn't satisfied that we were solving the problem in an elegant way. So I basically took a weekend and I said, all I'm going to do this weekend is I'm going to rewrite everything having to do with royalty calculations, right? And everything having to do with product bundles or whatever. And I'm just, that's, you know, because I'd, I'd thought about it for like weeks and weeks and months leading up to that point. Like the site was running, it had a thing, but it was like, it was unsatisfactory. Like the, every time a new requirement would come in, it would be a problem. So I'm like, I'm just going to tackle this, right? So I isolated myself for like a weekend, which is the thing I could do before kids or before kids who were older because I had one little <laughs> tiny baby at that point. I mean, just, just two days at home on a weekend, me and the computer. Similarly, I had an earlier job, I had another, like it was a very complicated system designed by like product designers or like marketing people essentially like here's how we want it to work and they described in like the 17 page word document here's how we want the system to work and i was like there's no way i'm going to be able to make this thing if i just like come in every day and try to chip away at it right so again i set myself a task and this time it was at work but i set myself a task of like i'm not doing anything else i'm just gonna hide 
in my then actual office. Those were the days. <laughs> and oh, and never just had one. for never this week, one. I'm going to do, I am going to turn that you know eight page word document written by non technical people into an implementation that like matches it exactly, clarifying all of the ambiguities or whatever. And just spent that week doing it. So every time I feel like I've had to get in the zone and tackle a programming problem, I feel like I've had to shut out distractions and remove context switches. I imagine that's true for most people because it's a common thing that people measure like the context switches are bad or whatever. But some people may be like, oh, I'd rather be in a cafe or whatever. I'm like, no, I don't want to see or hear any other human. I don't want to see see or hear any other noise. It's just going to be me and the computer. Absolutely no distractions. Absolutely no one else there. No music, no sound, no things on in the background, no people walking around, nothing. That's That's how I get in the zone. Marco? Headphones and fish. Nobody saw that coming. Surprise! Mm-hmm. And I would also say too, I the way I work. I don't know if this is true of everybody. I think it might be. Um, the way I work, like I, I can't really create the zone at will. Yeah, yeah. I can just recognize when I'm ready for it and and encourage it and preserve the state as well as possible. Um, like it's like the the zone is here, and I get a chance to harness it or not harness it. <laughs> and it, and so when I I choose whenever I can to harness it when the opportunity arises, like you know when when I have that motivation, when I have that focus, you know whatever causes that mode to happen, I try to recognize when that is happening and preserve that and and harness it to get good stuff done. Like when I can tell that I'm in the zone or that I'm that I'm able to be in the zone, I'm not going to do things like read Twitter or answer email. Like I'm going to want to harness that to. Um, I'm, I'm going to ideally apply that to like coding and, and it, things that are like more substantial like that, you know, as opposed to just like administrative work or messing around. Uh, but I, I'm not perfect at this, but that is, uh, that is the, the idea. Leon Zanman writes, do you have any idea what should or could happen to Overcast and your other endeavors in the unfortunate event of you dying? Maybe a weird slash creepy question, but I'm just wondering if and how you as a one person's business with paying clients are handling this. And I I thought this was fascinating in no small part because I just heard uh, Independence number 55, uh, the single point of failure where this exact conversation is discussed. Um for me, I mean, it's not as big as, and certainly not the uh, the financial uh, powerhouse, let's say, that Overcast is. But for Vignette and, and all the other associated stuff with my business, I have written out um, uh, kind of the instructions on, hey, if I disappear, where is everything? And that's true not only of the business, but actually my personal life as well. And and I've given, you know, copies of those documents to people I trust. And so in the unfortunate event that, you know, I pass away, then both Aaron as my wife and Aaron as probably the person who will end up dealing with my business's stuff should hopefully be squared away. And I've actually been thinking about writing a blog post about what sorts of information I've included on these documents because I think it would probably be helpful. So I'll probably get around to that one day. But uh, but Marco, what, what are you doing if, God forbid, something happens to you suddenly? I mean... My family's taken care of with things like life insurance, uh, but for mm-hmm. the actual mm-hmm. for the actual business, like for for Overcast, um, I don't really have any plans. I'll be dead, so I won't care. Fair. I guess people can do whatever they want with it. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I have I have not put anything in place. I also heard that episode, and I I also thought about like I wonder if I should you know put some process in place here, uh, but I have found that 
transitions of app ownership rarely really preserve what the app was about and what made it good. And so I don't think it really matters. Like, if I'm gone, Overcast is going to die with me or is going to be picked up by somebody else and change in a way that you're all going to hate. So, <laughs> so like, it, it kind of doesn't really matter, honestly. That's an interesting point. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, maybe even several years ago now, a friend of the show, underscore David Smith, went somewhere, and he didn't tell his friends that he was going anywhere, which is fine. Like, he doesn't have to report into us that he's going on a vacation. But he went somewhere, and this is, I think, when Feed Wrangler was fairly new, and something happened. I don't know if you remember this, Marco, but something happened. I sure do. <laughs> when Feed Wrangler basically took a dump, and this was this was fairly significant, and nobody could get in touch with Dave. And I can only speak for myself, but I was getting increasingly and increasingly and increasingly worried about what was going on. And it turned out everything was fine in, well, in in his world it's just that you know some server had had an issue or something like that yeah, and he was just like on vacation like at a cabin in the woods with no internet connectivity exactly but like but yeah it was like his server went down like at the worst possible time basically like right after he left <laughs> and so like it was down for a while and you know and you know i've taken vacations where i've been offline and you just kind of assume like well i just hope that in the next couple of days my servers don't break right <laughs> and it, it you know his servers happened to break during that time and yep. but yeah we all thought the worst <laughs> yeah, it, I was genuinely like getting really concerned. Well, anyways, I bring all this up because there was a time when he went on a different trip later, and I, I genuinely don't know if this is still true or not, but there was a window of time where he had given me like a, you know, 400 character password to use and like the bare bones of server information that I could use to basically like log in and just restart the, the thing and hope for the best. And I I honestly, I'm sure if I have it, it's in one password somewhere, and I don't even know if I do have this information anymore. And even if I do, I doubt it still works. But I thought it was an interesting point that, you know, it may not be terrible to take someone you trust and give them, you know, a, a key or the keys to the kingdom just in case something happens. Now, obviously, I wouldn't be able to, like, tr- properly debug whatever, you know, Dave's issues may be. But I could go in there, like I said, and restart the server and hope for the best. So that's another thing to think about as well if you ever go off the grid. In any case, John, what about you? What Have you thought about any of this? I have no kingdom for which keys must be handed to someone. <laughs> when I'm dead, nobody cares, and there's nothing that needs to continue. I'll care. Uh-huh. But there's nothing that needs to keep running. So Fair enough. But not hypercritical.co, is that right? It's not com, right? Nobody cares about that stuff. Well, you only write on it once a year. So. That's right. I mean, yeah, I don't have any ongoing endeavors like that. Other, you know, other than the ones that actually involve me, in which case those, you know, no longer involve me. Fair enough. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Eero, Squarespace, and Casper. And we'll see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Because it was accidental. Oh, it was accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him. Because it was accidental. Oh, it was accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L. ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S 
so desperately want i have a favorite spatula rubbermaid used to make uh utensils for some brief period they no longer do i have two rubbermaid spatulas one of which is my favorite spatula and i cannot find one that is even remotely like it it's not complicated it's one piece of rubbermaid plastic but it's it's exactly the right size and shape doesn't have any weird places where you know gunk gets stuck like it's the right flexibility it's you know it's a good spatula Johnny might even like it, but I have to hope that it never breaks or like accidentally melts on something or whatever because I can't find a replacement. So yeah, he should make a spatula. It would be it's a perfect Johnny Ive thing because it should be basically like you know featureless and white and just like you know a simple solid with no moving parts and no ports. Not white though, because you, then you like sauce would discolor it. Um, it. Mine's not white. It's like a you know a, an off white kind of color, and yeah, it is a little bit discolored, right? But it's <laughs> right. you know yeah, the amount of tomato sauce you make, of course, it's going to be discolored. Well, no, it's not. You don't use the spatula and tomato sauce. But anyway, uh, it, it is mostly like sort of discolored from like Bernie stuff being on it. So it's like a little bit of Bernie a brown stuff. Bernie stuff. Yeah, like a little bit of a brown speckling. Like, but it's not colored like purple or red or any kind of like food dye color. Uh, Ryber in the chat room. Not that. That's a bowl scraper. That's not a. Yeah. Not that kind of spatula. You're talking about the pancake turner? <laughs> Flipper, yeah. if anything, but yes. Yeah. Like it's, it's shaped more like a hockey stick. Yes. You could like get it underneath. I got to say, the, uh, so the, the, what you're calling like a bowl scraper, I, sh- I have been using those more for eggs. Just like as like the thing that you stir stuff in a pan with. Yeah, that's not not the right not the right tool for that job. Please stop doing that. I Honestly, I find like I used to be a wooden spoon person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. ultimately, I find that that a, a good flexible silicone spatula that that the, what you're calling the bowl scraper kind of spatula, like you know, not the not the pancake turner with the slots, but like the thing that you would like you know ice a cake with, <laughs> like that kind of thing. I have found that is actually a much better tool for stirring stuff around in a pan during during most for most types of things that i'm stirring around in pans i, I really enjoy it I, I got converted to it a couple of years ago by a friend and and i i am solidly in that camp now of like that is the better tool for that job so the thing my wife does and it drives me nuts but it is still one step up from the worst thing which is using silverware yeah that's definitely oh, the worst thing. goodness yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. please do not use silverware for so many reasons yeah that i agree for with. using the wrong using the wrong cooking tool is a step up from that and then <laughs> using the correct tool of course is what you should be doing Aaron always used to use one of these things that you're describing, Marco, uh, for scrambled eggs. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I was like, what the hell are you doing? That's why I use a spatula. And then I tried it once, sir. I was like, as she started them and left like the, the little scrapery, you know, plasticky, whatever thing um, right near the, the pan. And so I was like, oh, screw it. I'll just use this. I think both you and Aaron are correct for something along those lines. When you're making eggs, you are, in fact, much of the time scraping the bowl, essentially. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what point. I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. It, uh, that actually is closer. Yeah, especially if you're making like if you're making scrambled eggs in a nonstick pan, like this thing is perfect because you really do want to get it all off the side. <laughs> yeah, like it makes well, it. So sense. if your pan is properly nonstick, you shouldn't need this. Actually, like this is to get things off the side that are sticking to the side. Really, you should be able to, you know, not even touch it with anything and just flip it and it should, you know, slide right off just like in those commercials. But uh, as nonstick degrades, they become 
less non-stick. They become more stick, and so then you need you you might need a scraper. Every every pan eventually becomes a stick pan, mm-hmm. except for the super duper cast iron thingies. Supposedly, I've never successfully pulled this off, but the theory is the carbonization, long period of time, smooth glassy surface, yada yada. Yeah, I, I've never been convinced by the cast iron lifestyle. I, it's it seems I mean, like. It is. You need, a, you need a grandma pan. You need a pan that someone's used for a hundred years that has that glassy surface that no one has put their stupid metal utensils into and screwed up. <laughs> John, <laughs> click that most recent link in the chat. Is that it's a circa nineteen seventy two spatula? So that's right in your wheelhouse in terms of era. I, I didn't get. Hey, that's it. That's not the one that I like. That's the big one. The small version of that is my spatula. I, we also have the big one, and that's what we use for pancakes and stuff, but I'm not married to the big one. I feel like the big one is too big. The small one is maybe like half that width. That is my spatula. Okay, this is not at all what I thought you meant. And Same. Doesn't it look like a Johnny Ive thing, other than obviously the giant Rubbermaid thing, which is why I know it's Rubbermaid, because like, you can't not know it's Rubbermaid. Right. <laughs> but that's the only, you know. So, this, so you can't find anything as good as that? Nope, I cannot. I hear, I hear the skepticism all the way from here. <laughs> and again, not the, not the big one, the small one. God, if I can, if, if anyone sees the small one on eBay, I will buy it for a ridiculous price. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm already, I'm already, I, I'm already running low on my uh, my grated cheese the OXO thing, right? Oh no, I, I remember you, you mentioned that in the past, right? Like you're holding on to an old cheese grater. I think I have one or possibly two left unopened, but they're they're <laughs> lifetime. Um, and the, the, my current one, I'm just like hang on a little bit longer. I'm trying to get the maximum life out of. I have seen on television a few more like commercial kitchens with electric ones and that's totally what i want i want to not do it by hand but i haven't found a good electric one yet so i'm always on the lookout for that but in the meantime i gotta keep my hand ones oh do you see this etsy uh, link is it really from the 70s yeah that one in the middle there you got it right there that's my spatula boom is it from the seventies? How could it? I mean, we bought it after we were. So ma- you can buy one for seventy four ninety nine, John. We we bought it after we were married, so I. It's not like this is. I mean, maybe they've made it since the seventies, and yeah, oh, seventy dollars. Hmm. Jesus, you're actually thinking about it. I would love so much for you to go back in time to the seventies and explain to your parents or grandparents, whoever bought this, that in two thousand nineteen you're going to buy one for seventy five dollars. We we bought it. We bought it ourselves. Like after we were married, when you're buying like stuff for your house, you got to buy a kitchen table and utensils and like plates and spatulas. And we bought a spatula. Like we just probably went to you know whatever the kitchen store and bought a bunch of cheap. You know, we were like in our twenties. We were just married. We didn't have a lot of money. This is not an expensive product. God, I, I don't. I've never seen that weird soup ladle. I'm not really not on board with that. Probably, but seventy five dollars for this piece of plastic. Good God! The big and the small spatula. Rubbermaid. Why did you stop making these? Oh, and it's only available in black. Apparently, sorry, John. Black. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. You can you can pay seventy five dollars and get the spatula pro. Wow. wow. <laughs> Actually, now that I see it in black, it does look kind of Mac Pro-y. It also appear if you go to the very last photo where it's the black one and it's showing the underside, it looks like it might be used. You see, like that 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 leading edge is. Oh yeah, they're all they they get scraped up. Like mine is like it's like a cast iron pan where it becomes like you get a patina and sort of like it it has seen so much service because again I've had it for like twenty years now that it is like I don't know I should take some pictures of it. It's it's a pretty good looking thing after twenty years. Now the real funny thing here is that at the bottom of this listing it says almost gone. There's only three left. I, I see that as they have three of these. That's great. I you could you could spend you know two hundred and twenty five dollars 
and have three backup spatula pros. John, you might want to consider what, it. What is this picture with a thing with like a spoon with slots in it? I'm not on board with their spoons. I'm I'm also in the market for a good wooden spoon. I have a lot of good wooden spoons, including wooden spoons for my grandmother, which are my best wooden spoons. But wooden spoons eventually do start to check and crack a little bit, right? So a couple of my a couple of my good wooden spoons have some cracks in them. Another advantage of using spatulas instead of wooden spoons, you can put them in the dishwasher. Oh, we don't put these in the dishwasher. Are you kidding? These never go in the dishwasher. The wooden spoons or the spatulas all wash my hand. Your things from the 70s probably would melt if you put them in the dishwasher. They're, they're probably, I don't think they would. Like, they're probably leaching chemicals into your food when you use no, them. They go, <laughs> this, they go directly into hot pans. They don't melt. Uh, but I wouldn't put them in the dishwasher. No. It's plastic from the 70s. <laughs> it's not from the seventies. It's manufactured like in nineteen, the late nineties. Fine, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put plastic from the nineties into my food today. Oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's not fine. <laughs> we know factually, it's not fine. Not, not all plastic is toxic. <laughs> yeah, but like o- only the, only the stuff they use for water bottles. <laughs> yeah, right. It's <laughs> not like, a water bottle. And plastic, like it degrades and leaches weird chemicals out of itself over time. Like that, it's uh, not a good. Like I'm this sure is not fine. good. Yeah. <laughs> in in John's defense, I think I misread 1972 as a release year, not a model number, because apparently that is a model number. There you go. But it does say on this listing, item details, vintage from before 2000, which is now basically 20 years ago. <laughs> it's vintage. Yeah, it's vintage from when I was married in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, it's I, 20 years ago. All three of us are quite vintage at this point <laughs> by these definitions. Yeah, well, I, that's good to go. Uh, looking at the little codes in the back, I should look. Probably that code is in the back of mine. It's got the recycle symbol on it, yeah. So there you go. Rubbermaid 1971 spatula. Is it the 71? I can't tell what number. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm going to look at mine. You should go right now. I want those spatulas. Hmm. You're really thinking about spending $75 on this thing, aren't you? I mean, like, here's the thing. My current ones are fine. They are not broken. And unlike my cheese grater, they don't, there's not like a shelf life where I know this is going to break in three years. Uh, They've never broken. But I fear one day, like, you know something happening to it, someone leaving it on a burner and actually does melt or something like that. And people are sending me links to other things on Amazon that are not my spatula. This is not my spatula. I've seen these in the store. This is not what I want. I think you have, you have to buy this. You have to get spatula pro for $75. I think you might be right. The only question is how many, (laughs) which utensil narrow spatula 74.99 no i'm not gonna do like i gotta i gotta uh keep my powder dry for the mac pro <laughs> i mean just think about how many of these spatulas you could buy the white is sold out anyway i would i would, I would have to get the black one yeah no forget it i'm not i need no the pro one looks cool but it's it clashes with everything else it's not i like to see the uh the food stuff stuck to it if it's black it's hard to see what what kind of gunk is on there <laughs> 